one and we are recording episode 915 i'm gonna go microwave my food because i'm a fat pig oh fuck i dropped my fork in it now it's all greasy and uh with that roger's gonna hold it down go get his book roger tell him where it is yeah uh well uh those of you who regularly watch know that uh, I wrote uh, what Tommy calls his favorite book, The Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect. And if you would like a paper copy of it, like this one, uh, which you can flip through and all that, it's free to read off of my website, uh, localroger.com. But uh, if you want a paper copy, uh, you can get it from Amazon, and I don't mind that. But if you take a cu couple of extra minutes and get it from Lulu, lulu.com, it's the same price because the contracts that make it available on Amazon require them. They, they can't undersell the other providers, but they're the publisher of art. They act when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply print the book and they can uh print it you know they they have it a lot cheaper what they do is they give me the difference so if you buy it from lulu i get like six bucks instead of a dollar fifty so that would be a solid uh on the other hand if you've got a gift card or something like that then i don't mind uh i get by far most of my uh traffic for that off of amazon simply because more people go there and the search works really well i mean they have spammed it to me so they have they have spammed me with emails to sell me my own book. That is pretty either weird or cool, depending on how you look at it. Uh, and uh, as far as the e any ebook version, you can get those from anywhere because those are you know basically your Kindle version comes from Amazon, right? So anyway, I see Tommy is back. What's um? Probably take me like a couple more minutes to eat this. I'm gonna pull the microphone away so you don't hear me just chewing like a disgusting, gluttonous ASMR video. <laughs> and um, so you want to watch right into the thrilling conclusion to book two of the curators? I do. And I was thinking about throwing this microfiber cloth over the camera so you don't have to see me chewing. <laughs> I don't know. Let's see how let's see how it looks. The camera's at an angle, so it's not even. Yeah, fuck this. What do I? What do I care? <laughs> the intimate shit I talk about on this podcast. Let me rearrange my windows here. So I'm going to put the, you over here. The the intimate emotional conversations we have on this podcast. And I'm like, let me cover the camera for decency. <laughs> oh, fuck. It's like how Hitler was, a, veg Hitler was a vegetarian because he didn't like violence against animals. I mean, like. <laughs> let alone how chapter one of your favorite novel that I wrote starts. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to pull the microwave away from my mouth. And uh, Roger, okay. take it away. Um, as you will recall, uh, we left our heroes with a slight problem because there was a rogue curator who had taken an adult human host uh, and was going around satisfying that guy's perverse needs, killing women all over the earth and couldn't be caught because he's a curator. Uh, 
and generally having some friction between the humans and the curators who created all of the habitable worlds in the Milky Way galaxy. So book one was largely about us figuring out where we stand in the galaxy. And book two has been about us trying to make a place for ourselves in the galaxy a bit more prominent, you know, without sort of uh, figuring out what our meaning is being here. Uh, and we're about to bridge to book three, which is going to be outright conflict with the curators, which let's face it in this universe they're god so anyway uh taking up after the last episode that i read this will be six episodes as it was originally published on reddit um, and this is going to be book two part 30 as originally published and it is a three-year gap since the end of the last episode three years later we had nearly implemented all of the mechanisms necessary for practical bulk nanoassembly, but still had integration issues, making them all work on the same project. Nanoassemblers are similar to nanites, but they don't reproduce, and unlike nanites, they need some kind of external synchronization, as well as a rich ecosystem of nanoscale supply lines to get elements and components to the places where they're needed. Nanites require solutions to some of the same problems, but because they can replicate and move around, their solutions are very different. We had some of the simpler nano helpers of the mortality cure working on it in vivo and our team members confidently expected to live at least a thousand years and our skill was steadily increasing. One day the fold aperture lab invited us to watch a demonstration. The team member doing the demo placed a statuette in an aquarium and set a computer to scanning it with an elaborate array of lasers. When this was done, he poured sand over it until it was covered. Then he gave the computer a different command and after several seconds, the statuette appeared outside of the aquarium and the sand slumped. We have to figure out the shape with other methods, but once we have it now, we can shape the fold aperture with high precision, he said, as his colleagues politely applauded. There wasn't a single grain of sand on the statuette. The microfold array team had more work to do, though. The leader showed us a 3D projection of an atomic structure about 100 atoms in radius and four centimeters long. This is one element of an array of what will probably need to be about 100 million independent microfold transceivers, he said. We've managed to synthesize a few of them and make them work individually, but bulk nanoassembly still isn't up to creating an array this size. We had been visited by the curator about once a year, usually at Earth's winter solstice, and we didn't talk about our project and he didn't ask about it. We didn't talk about Nemesis, but then he showed up on March 18th. Nemesis is dead, he said with an uncharacteristically grand smile. How in the hell? Emma and I both started, but he raised his hand as if to share a vision. Brace yourselves, he said. I've used the amplifier to enhance the recording and playback process. I closed my eyes so as not to be distracted, and then I am the curator, and I feel the weight of his long years of life, and I remember his other hosts, and I am the agent of a mission nobody else can complete. I am attending the montage of grisly 
crime scenes. I am able to trace her steps, but not quickly enough. I am constantly examining myself and sometimes other curators for clues that might help me solve the problem of restraining her, but I am making no progress. I am noticing the presence of a figure at many of the murder scenes. She is a human female with dark hair who is always wearing a leather trench coat and mirror shades. I am realizing that she has also noticed me. I am hearing her voice in my ear. I thought nobody else knew, she says, in a voice that is both crisp and sultry. If I show you mine, will you show me yours? I am sipping coffee and listening to her tell me of some of humanity's best-held secrets. Humans have made more progress on fold technology than anyone has realized. It requires a planetary array of detectors synchronized by atomic clocks and supercomputers, but they have learned to track curator local folding about as well as I can with the amplifier. They know the murders are all committed by the same curator. I know everyone on Earth who is aware of our project, she says, and you're not one of us. You're a curator yourself, aren't you? I am nodding, and I am telling her a story to explain my presence. I am telling her of the rogue curator who took an adult human host, but I am leaving out the attempted murder at Seville and the lost blocks and the enhanced capabilities and the amplifier. I am not even sure she knows that such things as amplifier belts exist. But I am letting her know that I can project a localized inhibitor field and that the murderer tries to fold out from it. I can follow her. But then I am reminding her of the burning bioform to new host problem. A localized inhibitor field, she finally says, that could be useful, but not useful enough. I have spent years unable to think of the next step. Maybe you're looking through the wrong end of the telescope. Instead of the implant technology, what about the human brain? You're certain the brain is doing all the processing? Quite sure. My people are very insistent about that, and nothing is ever emulated unless there is no bioform to do the thinking. Could you meet me here tomorrow? I have a friend I'd like to introduce you to. She writes down the address of a famous hospital halfway around the world and an office number within it. I am puzzled. You can fold on the surface of the earth to get there yourself, I ask incredulously. Oh, no, she says with a chuckle. I have access to a private supergravity shuttle. It'll take me until tomorrow to arrange the meeting and get there. I know you'll just wait until the appointed time and go poof. At the appointed time, I fold over to the office of a prominent neuroscientist. I am answering such questions as I can about how the interface works, but I am reminding him that for aeons, the interfaces have just worked as originally designed, and we don't really know anymore just how they target which areas of the brain to establish connections. Could you undergo an fMRI scan, he asks. It involves a 12 Tesla magnetic field, which could be a problem for your implant. My implant is isolated in a folded bubble of space-time. I am saying the magnetic field will not affect it. I am dressed in a hospital gown and being conveyed into a scanner. I am aware that our methods are so much more subtle and precise than this giant machine, but I am also aware that humans actually understand what they are doing with their technology in ways that curators stopped even trying to understand themselves aeons ago. The machine starts by making a basic scan of my brain at rest. I am recording and playing back implant audio and video as they scan my brain, and then I am asked to do something consciously directed, if possible, without actually folding out of the lab. I execute a null fold, setting the implant to fold me to my original location. My implant complains that this is absurd, but there is excited chatter in the monitor room. Could you project energy in the way that you would to burn your bioform, obviously without actually burning your bioform? 
I am executing a microfold array scan of the room, and I am selecting an aluminum chair as my target, and I am folding enough solar thermal energy into it to make it glow red and noticeably raise the temperature of the entire room. There is more chatter in the control room than I am being conveyed out of the machine. I think we might have an attack vector, the agent says. Even indoors, she is wearing her trench coat and mirror shades. I am invited to have drinks with her, and she shares a shot of Remy Martin XO. Her plan is a long shot, but it is at least possible. It has just one remaining snag. We can only find her after she's gone, I said. I know, we need to work on that. But first, I was wondering if you had ever had sex as a human. I am hearing it as a simple question and not the prelude to seduction, which it actually is. No, it would make little sense since one price of the mortality cure is that my hosts cannot reproduce. But isn't your host's body in season all the time since its adolescence? We are trained to suppress those feelings of our hosts, which are distracting to our mission. I have a mission, she said, tossing back her drink. And I am 80 years old. I went through natural menopause 30 years ago and had myself sterilized 50 years ago. But I am human. I am still always in season. I am realizing that at some point she has exchanged her trench coat for a bathrobe and her eyes are brilliant green. If you let him out, would your host find me sexually attractive? He had all of the imprints, which would normally cause that to happen. Then why don't you let him out? Surely you might benefit from understanding your quarry a little better and your partner. I am about to be demure when I realize that I am already a rogue with secret superpowers and a purloined amplifier belt. I am realizing that she might have a point. I am realizing the blocks on my host's sexual feelings as she parts the bathrobe revealing her nude body and lets it slide off of her shoulders into a puddle of cloth on the floor. Nudity is the natural state of almost all of our children, but none of them very often feel as I do now as she approaches me. To be continued. Very shortly in this case, since... <laughs> Getting some uh, OG Mopey vibes. Yeah. Actually, her character is Charlize Theron's character from Atomic Blonde. You can just put that in the back of your head and count on it. That was who I had in mind. Noted. Okay. Part 31. I finally remembered who I really was and forcibly interrupted the playback. Since he was streaming it to Emma at the same microfold channel, it popped both of us back to reality. You fucked an alien affairs agent, I said incredulously. Oh, she wasn't alien affairs. Those guys manage visas and hospitality arrangements. She was so secret. She was almost your version of a curator. I never did learn her real name. Her agency knows the things nobody else knows and does the things alien affairs isn't supposed to do. And you fucked her, Emma said. We had human sex, he said. It was instructive. Much of what we have never understood about your species now makes sense to me. Yeah, because we're in season all the time, Emma said with a note of disgust in her voice. That is correct. And he held his hand up again. I am surveying a montage of crime scenes, this time in the company of my partner and occasional paramour. We have shaved the window from detection to positioning down to four hours, but it still isn't good enough. Since I have an amplifier belt, I can fold her to the scene so she doesn't have to scramble the transport anymore. I am relaxing in her bed after sex when she says something curious. Your implant, if it was in this world, how big would it be? I have an idea of what she's getting at, and I don't want to lie to her, but I, have the, I don't want her to know that I have the amplifier. 
which would be much larger than an implant. So I am hiding it and I mumble something intermediate between our two objects. Still far smaller than what we have, she said. Our detectors are crude, but they are widely spread out to give useful resolution. Yours are fine and sensitive, but all crammed together in one place, along with all the computing power you will ever have. It takes a lot of computation for us to get results out of our network. I am wondering if it would be possible to exchange our raw data and share our computational resources to combine and leverage our mutual advantages. Human-built computers are still crude compared to curator implants, but the agency uses a lot of them. There is another meeting, and I am streaming the raw data back and forth through a high bandwidth microfold portal. We are taking alternate turns with the sharpening algorithm, and the result converges much faster than either of our systems could manage alone. The early tests look good, and when we go to live data, the computing lag is cut to two hours. The first time we try it on Nemesis herself, we get a glimpse of the host just before he folds away. He is a handsome young man with curly auburn hair and a rakish mustache. I am realizing that I have no plan. We need a plan, she is saying, and I am nodding. The agency arranges fake data leading to actors who will let us test our ability to home in and take our target down. I am critical to the project because I can fold us to the target seat instantly. I am learning from her some of the skills of human spycraft so that when we get to the scene, we can act together as a team. The agency is incorporating my abilities into their plan scenarios as adeptly as if they had been using my abilities themselves for their whole careers. I am getting the alarm and streaming the data to the human servers. I am getting dressed with her in case the results come out. And when I do, I am folding us to the a position just out of sight of the fold event. We know that she doesn't travel too far from where she folds, rather picking victims who can be attacked conveniently without risk exactly where they are when she arrives. Her host is in the middle of a deserted street far from the nearest city, hacking his victim apart. I survey the situation with my microfold senses and fold the agent in to do her thing. Then I fold in myself in time to see her drive the power syringe into his neck. The host reels and faces us, not realizing what has been done to him. I have put up the fold inhibitor field, and when he tries to fold out, the agent and I follow. He makes it about five short hops before he drops to his knees and looks at us with genuine puzzlement in his eyes. You gave me H, he says incredulously. The euphoria is just a side effect, the agent says, as we watch him gradually collapse. Normally, the euphoria is the intended goal, and our result is the side effect, but here it's the other way around. He is losing control of his body. What the fuck you did to me? He manages to slur. I am holding the inhibitor field up. It is causing some local disruptions, but I won't need it for long. He is losing the ability to coordinate a command to the implant. Conscious imperative instructions to our implants go through an area of the brain called the substantia nigra, I am saying to her. The injection my partner just gave you selectively kills those brain cells. You're still alive and the rest of your brain is still performing normally, so your implant won't detach, but you can't give it any kind of instruction directed at performing a definite action. The host's muscles are locking as his brain's motor control center dies. Finally, he can no longer speak. I am in communication with her through the implant, I tell my partner. Those functions don't go through the substantia nigra. What's she saying? She's howling in rage. Sounds reasonable. I think I can do it now. Please do before he overdoses on the opioid and actually dies. 
I am exercising my unlocked powers and the knowledge of codes which have been forgotten for aeons to perform a full reset on her implant. There are alarms and opportunities for her to cancel before the operation proceeds, but the brain cells she needs to do that have already been killed. Her implant backup will be deleted and the implant itself will automatically return to the manufactory to be recycled. She's gone, I say. It's just him and whatever's left of her in his brain now. She produces a gun and aims it at him. I am saying, let me handle this. This will make you a murderer. Honey, killing people is one of the things I do. And in all my career, I have never killed anyone who I will feel better about killing than this fucker. And she points the gun at his face and pulls the trigger twice. The vision ends with the sound of the shots, not looking down to reveal the result. We didn't need to see that, the curator said. So are you still fucking the agent, Emma asked. It was a working relationship and our work was done. I requited my host's feelings and I assumed she went back to more mundane aspects of her own job. Such as spying and killing people, I said. So it seems. And you're cool with this, Emma asked. If not for her and her agency, there might not have been any way to stop Nemesis. Your people have always had a tendency to suspend your norms in case of exigent, cir an exigent circumstance, and this was one of those circumstances. I've learned a lot from this project. I'm a little afraid to ask just what you've learned from it, I said. Well, for one, I've learned that Remy Martin XO is perfectly adequate. Considering what it costs, most people would find it a lot better than adequate. I don't know. The clear hooch that your professors make is also pretty smooth. But another thing I learned is that I can probably never go back to Earth. Emma and I looked at one another. Why? Emma asked. I realized over a year ago that they were never all that interested in stopping Nemesis from conducting her murder spree. They were far more interested in studying her to learn what they could of our technology. She was a curator who regularly acted in predictable enough way for them to find and study her. They shifted focus when I showed up because I was also a curator and they could work with me directly. I gave them enough information to keep them interested and held back enough to keep them harmless to us. But on that final mission, she had a second syringe. What? With my human sexual feelings awakened, I became fond of surveying her bioform with my microfold array, even when she was dressed. On our final mission, she had a second syringe. She had no legitimate reason to have it, because in the unlikely event that she somehow messed with the first one, our protocol was to was supposed to be to let Nemesis fold out without warning her that we also had an inhibitor field ready to deploy. Before we engaged Nemesis, she invited me to celebrate with her if, I, if we found success. I agreed, but when she shot the host, I folded out. I folded through 15 worlds, including one that's the lifeless, airless husk of a world fried by its exploding star before coming here. They do not know I am your friend, and there is no way for them to trace me here. I think joining your project is now my only remaining option. She was just using you to get at your technology? Well, I was using her to stop Nemesis, so I can't complain about that. What about Nemesis' implant? Emma asked. Is there any chance they might recover it? It has almost certainly been found its way back to the manufacturing to be recycled. Won't that alert your people that someone killed her? Not necessarily. It's not unknown for those of us who are tired of life to not only burn our bioforms, but also to reset our own implants, effectively committing permanent suicide. The implants return to where they were made to be repurposed. They will know it was her implant, but they will also know that she had gone mad. No, the real problem is the human agency. 
they do not know what my power is greater than that of an ordinary curator, and it is likely that they will attempt more operations to interact with my people. It seems inevitable that their incorrect assumptions will eventually alert my people to the fact that I have those advantages, advantages that not only require an amplifier, but the long suppressed ability to arbitrarily reprogram it. My people will then figure out that I used those advantages to kill another curator, and doing that even to an evil squee like Nemesis will annoy them. By their own arrangement, there's not much they can do to me, but I doubt if they will ever allow me to work on a project with them again. Well, we can always use your help here, Emma said. He nodded and took a sip of white lightning. And I will need guidance as I let my human feelings out again, with a bit more caution this time. Part of me may have been born on another world a million years before you evolved, but it seems that now my fate is to be human, and it's a fate I've decided to embrace. In fact, I have realized that Nemesis was right about one thing which I must do. What's that? I asked warily. I should take a name. You have been calling me curator for over a hundred years now, and now that I am expressing my humanity, I think something less formal and generic might be appropriate. I'm thinking of calling myself Andrew. There was an awkward moment as I wondered how to ask, why the hell Andrew? Then Emma said, well, Andrew, welcome to Terra Nova, and she held out her hand. We made our introductions as if we had never met before, and we finished off the bottle together. Incidentally, Andrew is the name of the robot in Isaac Asimov's story, The Bicentennial Man, okay. who wanted to, and he ultimately did become dummy, human. human. Chef's Kiss. Episode 32, or part 32. Twelve years later. Andrew, the human curator, felt it might never be safe for him to return to Earth. But with his promise kept to solve the nemesis problem, there was no longer any compelling reason for him to return to Earth. He took up quarters on the limiting factor where most of the neuroscientists had set up shop. While he sometimes popped over to the other vessels on Terra Nova's moon to help the physicists, he felt they were making good progress on their own. But the folks who wanted to craft the neural interface for our implants were starting from a much deeper hole of basic ignorance. It wasn't just that humans didn't know how to make a precision brain machine interface. The curators themselves had long forgotten the arts that they had used to develop the capability. And now that it had been mature for aeons, nobody really remembered how it worked. The machines just took care of everything. This of course drove the human researchers crazy and Andrew commiserated. Fortunately, he had not just a fold amplifier, but an amplifier he could reprogram thanks to the lifting of our implant restrictions. He showed the neuroscientists that it could be fashioned into an incredibly fine and sensitive scanner, far faster and more precise than an fMRI machine. And while working on the same principle is the interface they hope to eventually build. So while the physicists struggled with bolt nano assembly, the doctors were learning deep and fascinating things about how the human brain formed thoughts, received sensations, and directed actions to be performed toward the outside world. When our own microfold arrays became ready, they would not be scanning entirely in the dark. Bulk nano assembly was vexing. Nanites could perform quality control and boot defective nanites out of the process before they were incorporated into an assembly. Bulk nano assemblies had to be essentially perfect across macroscopic volumes. Correcting errors turned out to be very difficult, as they tended not to be detected until they were surrounded by enough further assembly to make testing them possible. 
This was another mundane engineering art the curators had mostly forgotten once they had it seamlessly perfected. So the body of curator knowledge encoded in our implants was of limited help. The nanite team had pretty much nailed it though, and they were now working on obscure specialty functions. They could dial in a pattern for a building, an entire city, food duplication or synthesis modules, and dump a bucket of nanites onto a field and let the sun power its creation. There were several test structures on Terra Nova which had been created this way. We had resisted the temptation to expand our holdings on the moon, though, for other reasons. Quentin, Emma, and I had even taken a bucket of nanites on a little expeditionary trip in the implausible alibi to lay a little groundwork in an unlikely place. The fold team still needed a detector array they didn't have to sense the shape they needed for the fold aperture. But with any shape well-defined, they had not only proven able to make a precision aperture, but to seamlessly deal with air pressure variations so that it wouldn't pop or release atmosphere into space. The microfold array and nanoassembly teams were feeling a bit of pressure. This was the situation when the fold activity detectors went off. And while life seemed to continue normally on the Nostromo for about 40 of us, there were the equivalent of scramble sirens and flashing red lights. We had state-of-the-art fold detection at Terra Nova, but few of our personnel knew about it because few of them knew exactly why we needed it. The arrivals are on the outside ship skirt at sector E-17, one of our lieutenants whispered to us through the microfold. We located them and folded in to greet them. We recognized the leader of the planetary engineering team from our visit to witness the final engineered collision. And Andrew had played for us the scene of nemesis defection, so Emma and I recognized the keeper of amplifiers from that meeting. And we quickly reminded each other that we shouldn't know who he was or what had happened there, as that would blow Andrew's cover. Welcome to Terra Nova, Emma said warmly. Can we help you? We hope so, the amplifier master said. We were unsure where it would be safe to fold in this venue. Anywhere safe, I said. All of our people here know what we are, and we do not hide it. They will not be surprised, and we will expose no secrets by simply using your abilities. A less exposed place to discuss our business then? We guided them to a conference room, which just happened to be bugged to the hilt with cameras, microphones, and other sensors we had designed to be invisible to curator technology. What brings you to the Nostromo? I asked neutrally. 22 Earth years ago, one of our agents went mad and tried to kill you, the engineer said. That isn't exactly news, Emma said. You may have noticed we are still keeping a low profile. While I'm certain that's not necessary, I can't blame you. What she did was only possible because she misrepresented her intentions to take an amplifier belt, which gave her the power to pierce the human-made fold inhibitor that was guarding CI-1729140. Since you were trusting and following her, she was then able to lure you into her trap. Yes, we remember. While we know things like this occurred in the deep past billions of year years ago, nobody alive can remember such an incident, and we have asked around. When we confronted her over it, she burned her bioform and retreated into emulation within her implant, which should have limited her interaction with the natural world. That should have is ominous, I said. She made her way to Earth and took a new host, a human host, an adult human host. This was another outrageous break from protocol and completely unauthorized. We do not maintain controls on our people because, frankly, we don't expect our people to do this kind of crazy shit. With a vanishingly swift meeting of gazes, Emma and I reminded each other that we weren't supposed to know about any of this. How does this concern us? We haven't been back to Earth ourselves since before that incident. Her implant made its way back to the manufactory about 12 Earth years ago. It had been wiped, which is a normal thing when one of us commits permanent suicide. 
It doesn't happen often, but it isn't unknown. That sounds like a good thing, Emma said. About the same time, we lost another curator. He is the one you've known for many years, but who first met you on the quarantine world where you learned directly of our existence. We understand you have a relationship with him. Off and on, I said. His path is intersected with ours a lot at certain times, not so much recently, though. Did his implant come back too? No, and that's what bothers us. We know the rogue used an amplifier to trap you, and she returned it before we confronted her. But between the time of your assault and the disappearance of the rogue, another amplifier went missing. We don't even know how it disappeared, but it seems like an amazing coincidence that it should be in the middle of all of this. Why don't you just tell us what you think happened, Emma said. We think your acquaintance may have used the missing amplifier to kill the rogue. We don't know that, but we have to take take the possibility very seriously because it would mean that he has the ability to kill any of us. You two are especially vulnerable because your implants won't convey what we consider reliable serial immortality for some time. But she was mature. She was 40 million Earth years old and had hundreds of hosts of every type of species form. Something that could kill her could kill any of us. It's hard for us to get broken up about the death of someone who tried to kill us first, I said. We understand that our children's justice can be rough by necessity, but our entire civilization, our galactic civilization is pinned on the fact that none of us can, as a practical matter, do violence to any other of us. This is why we don't need structures like your governments and courts and prisons. We try to make sure that we only elevate those who will not make a terrible mess, but nothing is ever certain. There was a huge debate about you two when, you, when your case came up, and it's very embarrassing that we made such a mistake in the rogues case but it is still not acceptable for one of us to be able to kill another for any reason. Everything we have breaks down if that turns out to be possible. I think we do understand, Emma said. That ends up being our problem too, eventually. Exactly so, the keeper of amplifiers said. Tell us, do you know of any reason why our curator would have gone to such trouble to kill the rogue? The two looked at one another as if trying to exchange the obligation. Finally, the engineer said, she took for her host a murderer and used her powers to make him immune to your human justice system. So how many humans did this rogue kill? Another nervous exchange of glances. Then the amplifier keeper said, a lot. A lot, Emma deadpanned. As I said, it's very embarrassing, the engineer added. Well, you're welcome to stay with us, Emma said. We have quarters, good food, and we'll show you any parts of the ship you'd like to see. Except for the ones we won't. We invisibly winked at one another. No, we have much business. We had hoped you could help us with this new rogue, but if you haven't seen him since his defection, then we have no cause to bother you. We hope you will feel safe to come back and complete your studies someday. We've got lots of time to decide, don't we? You do indeed, the engineer said. There is no hurry at all. If you hear from your old acquaintance, will you let us know? Of course. They nodded and folded out. Trajectory, I said via microphone to the monitor. They went to Earth, he responded instantly. No doubt, clear signal, five nines. Any other activity? There was a pause. Quite certain, Jay. They folded out and nothing else happened for some time before or is happening now. Even a local fold would register on these detectors, even if we couldn't solve for its location. We're clear. Emma sent another message and one of the chemists knocked on the door. 
He brought a fresh bottle of their white lightning hooch. We were going to need it. Andrew, I messaged, and I detected the fold event as he joined us. To be continued. Part 33. Not that we expected curators to interest themselves in electromagnetic waves. We took no risks and maintained silence on all communication bands while the curators were on the Nostromo. We waited a few moments while Andrew, now formerly a rogue curator himself, reviewed the recording of our interview. The fact that they are still concerned about this after so many years is not good, he finally said. Curators tend to either quickly solve problems that bother them or give them up as being pointless diversions. I believe these two and probably others have been working on this problem continuously since they realized that my disappearance and the return of Nemesis implant were coincident. It probably just took them this long to get around to coming here. I doubt they have any real evidence that you or the Terra Nova operation is involved because they would have been here much sooner if they did. But the problem is that by human standards, they will never stop. This is an existential priority for them, and they can spend tens or hundreds of thousands of years working on it. While he spoke, I poured a shots of moonshine. How long do you think we have him? I asked. Unknowable. They have probably already tracked down and spoken to everyone who had any interaction with Nemesis at all in the years before her breakdown. They have probably spent a great deal of time retracing her steps on Earth. They may or may not be aware of the agency that helped me kill Nemesis, if they are, the agents can't have divulged much, but I have little doubt that the agency is aware of them. Tracking curators who visit Earth is what they do. So it's just a matter of time, I asked. Again, unknowable. The human agents were very circumspect in all their dealings with me. The most bothersome thing is that the curators went back to Earth when they left you. There are people on Earth who know you have the missing ships, although not why. There are people who know I was there to assassinate Nemesis. Many of our crew have acquaintances on Earth. We have been recruiting there for years. They already know you and I are long acquainted. There are no clear lines connecting any of those dots, but all of those dots are on Earth, and that makes Earth the linchpin of our real secret. Is there any chance they could track your amplifier? Only if I use it to do something outrageous like moving a planet. Physically, it only exists in this universe as a dimensionless point. Fold-wise, I've been using it as an extra massive microfold scanner, and that isn't detectable at a distance. What will they do if they return? That strongly depends on what they know or suspect. Suppose they connect all the dots. That would be very bad. They're not stupid. You took the ships, and you're here aboard one of them, and we're not maintaining fold quiet because that wouldn't make sense for a fold lab. It's unlikely they would find the ships out on the moon at random, but things are different if they decide to actively search the system. And once they know about the ships on the moon, they know you would not devote such resources to what you have admitted is a Quixotic vanity project on Terra Nova. So they could know everything already? No, because if they had already known, every, they would have moved to destroy us. It will take them more than a passing glance to realize that you were really trying to do and that you might actually succeed. If they had any idea how much you have already accomplished here, they would destroy all of us without warning or quarter. How? I would expect at least four amplifiers dedicated to folding Terra Nova and its moon into its sun. They would be certain of overwhelming any fold inhibitor your people are capable of deploying. They would do it without warning immediately on arrival in the system, probably from the outer system, to confuse our fold detectors as much as possible before we could react. 
remember, they have fought a fold war and there are records of it. I think we need to leave, Emma said. I don't think we're ready, I said. We will never be as ready as we want to be. We will also never be ready if Andrew's people come for us, Emma countered. To Andrew, she asked, how soon could they be here? What's the worst case scenario? If they're in the process of cementing their suspicions, it will take them about a day to reserve and arrange to remove the warlocks on the amplifiers. They will not start that process until they are absolutely certain of what they intend to do, and they wouldn't have visited here if they had already decided. And I don't think they would have gone to Earth if their next priority was to come after us. But Earth is also where all the clues are. And if they do decide we threaten them here, there will be no warning. You just got as much as you ever will. We need to fucking leave, Emma said. I tend to agree, Andrew added. Well, I guess I'm outvoted. We were still in the conference room where we had met the curator, so there was a ship comm console. I dialed the executive officer and put it on speaker. XO here. XO, this is King J. I am with Queen Emma. We need immediate private comms with all the captains. This is a code ultraviolet priority. Excuse me, Jay, did you say code ultraviolet? And I meant it, Saul. Working. About 20 seconds passed. Awaiting confirmation. A couple of them have to find privacy. Four, five, six. Ready. You're connected. Captains, this is King Jay. And this is Queen Emma, Emma said. All of you, please acknowledge. The comm panel lit up with icons indicating that our communication had been received and understood. We are immediately initiating plan breaking pinwheel, I said. Immediately initiate plan breaking pinwheel, Emma verified. The long shot in this drama will remain here for one hour to collect crew who are not on board. Captain Vegan will remain available for immediate instruction in case we have to alter that. The rest of you will leave now without pausing to retrieve crew or materiel. Forward to the long shot lists of all personnel known to be off board so we can collect them. Acknowledge. I punched the control to wipe the acknowledge icons and watch them reappear. Captain Vegan, stay with me. The rest of you get moving. A few seconds later, only the captains of the long shot and our own ship Nostromo were still on the comm. Sir and madam, Captain Vegan said, the lists have come through from the other ships. I have about 30 personnel to retrieve in eight locations. Send your star shuttle and use its full drive. Time is the only factor to consider. As soon as you have all those people or in no more than one hour, if you should be unable to find any of them, join the others. Understood, he said. Only the captain of the Nostromo remained on the comm link. Jay, Emma, we have at least 300 people out on the surface. We don't even have a comprehensive list because there's no formal checkout from this ship. We need at least a day to find them all. They will be all right. Terra Nova is a habitable world, and they all have transportation, ground infrastructure in place for the necessities of life and a microfold transceiver if they need to call someone for rescue. If all goes well, we'll be able to come back for them. But we leave in an hour no matter what. Make sure everybody understands that. It's really that bad? We can't be certain, but if you knew how bad it could be, you wouldn't be wasting our time asking us. Got it? Understood. I hope we're doing the right thing, I said after he left the comm. You may never know that, Andrew said gently. Take it from someone who has lived a very long time. But when you do the wrong thing, you often become quite certain of that shortly. I nodded, and we moved to do what we could to assist in the evacuation of Terra Nova to be continued again.
That was badass. I like that. You're probably going to like what comes up next even more. Part 33. 34. 34. Have to hit the next button before I start talking. 36 hours later. Six ships were at rest on the surface of a new world surrounding a new and empty city recently built by human-designed nanites. Now it was time to do the explaining. The Nostromo's amphitheater was full to overflowing, as were those on the other ships watching us on video. Not everyone could fit in the ship amphitheater, so others were watching us in smaller groups in conference and break rooms. Crew members of the expedition, welcome to the world we have called Terminus, I began. We apologize for the abrupt way you were brought here, and for those of us who want to return to Earth or other places back home, we promise that we'll make, we will make that possible, not immediately, but probably within a few weeks. When we have explained ourselves, we think you will all understand. 22 years ago, after a rogue curator tried to kill me and Queen Emma, we went searching for a place where we could be safe. Doing so required us to invent and prove new navigational techniques. The curators regard the Milky Way galaxy as their own garden, and many of them are upset at the things humans have done since we intruded on the order that they had so carefully curated. They are tolerating us for now, but the time will likely come when they will remind us that it is their garden, their home, and that they need us to follow their rules, which we may not want to follow. Many of you will protest that the Earth is our home and our world, but the curators don't see it that way. They would say that they created the earth as part of their garden, and as such, it is theirs to curate as they see fit. And if we are not their proper children, then we are invasive vermin. Many curators, including the one who tried to kill Emma and myself, already believe that. And we do not know enough about their culture to be sure those who disagree will ultimately prevail. Many of you will say that we should fight for our home. But having been given curator powers ourselves, we can assure you that as things are today, such a conflict would be short and genocidal. The curators will fold Earth and every one of our colonies into their sons before they allow us to effectively resist them, and they have the means to do that despite our fold span limiters and inhibitors. Most of you know our true purpose at Terra Nova came to be to bootstrap our own version of curator technology. Despite the progress we have made, we have far to go. It might one day be possible for us to resist them without being annihilated, but we will then still have to consider whether such a conflict is worthwhile. And meanwhile, should they find out what we are up to, we are certain that they would destroy us as soon as they suspect we might actually succeed. They would destroy us with the same enthusiasm we would feel about rats or cockroaches that we discovered were somehow learning to use our own technology against us. We have accordingly left the Milky Way galaxy. There were gasps from the Nostromo live audience. You might think we would have gone to Andromeda, but it turns out that Andromeda and the Milky Way are falling towards one another and will begin to merge within a billion years or so. Such a time might seem un unimaginably remote, but the curators have been active in keeping continuous records of their activities for seven billion years. They are serially immortal. They live in hosts of every species that can each live for hundreds of thousands or even millions of years with the mortality cure. But then they can also transfer their consciousness to new hosts when it suits them. A billion years is therefore not an unthinkable span of time. We have made such progress on the mortality cure ourselves, and it seems likely that within our mortal lifetimes, we, we may perfect serial immortality too. So even if none of us is likely to be here to see Andromeda and the Milky Way merge, it was clear to us that Andromeda wasn't far enough. The curators might still regard us as a threat if we settled there. 
Most of the galaxies of the local group are dwarf galaxies, which have low metallicity and are poor prospects for planets in the higher atomic weight building blocks of life and civilization. The next best candidate in the local group is the Triangulum Galaxy, but it's gravitationally bound to Andromeda, and so it's likely to also become part of a single big elliptical galaxy along with the other two. So we search further afield. Of several possibilities, we finally settled on Messier 101, commonly called the pinwheel for its appearance in the Milky Way-based telescope. A picture of M101 appeared behind us. It's a large galaxy of a trillion stars, much larger than either Andromeda or the Milky Way. We don't particularly need such a large galaxy, but we do need the heavy metals and planets with hot radioactive cores, which seem to be more plentiful here. Since leaving Terra Nova, we have traveled 21 million light years. We came here a few years ago to drop the nanites, which have created Terminus City, and as you can see, they have done their job. This was all made by our nanites, nanites which you designed, so we know there are no curator backdoors or secret secondary functions. When we scouted this galaxy, we found over a dozen worlds which we regard as easily terraformable. None of them is up to the standards of a curated world. Terminus, for example, has no stabilizing moon and no native multicellular life. A couple of the others are ice balls, and several have not yet oxygenated their atmospheres. But we have only surveyed a tiny fraction of this giant galaxy, and as we perfect the rest of the curator's tools for our own use, we may develop more comprehensive plan for expanding our presence here. We expect to have as much time as we need to make such plans. Some of you might be wondering whether the curators will follow us. It's unlikely that they will, at least soon, because it took us over a thousand successive folds to get here. The journey was executed automatically by software that we designed for the purpose and requiring a ship to sustain us as a human-built fold drive executed the program. The curators have not used ships of their own for many aeons. They are used to folding directly to their destinations or through waypoints that are either habitable or quickly skipped. But there is nothing between the Milky Way and the pinwheel but vacuum and zero-g for many hundreds of times their maximum fold range. Even if they use a ship or repurpose one of the few asteroid stations that they use for planetary engineering, they won't be able to follow us through so many successive automated folds. They will not know how to navigate when they get here, and if they somehow come here on their own, they will have no way to find the needle of terminus in the trillion sun haystack of the pinwheel. We are confident that we will be safe here and that this will remain true for some time, even once we begin regular shuttle flights back to the Milky Way. Some of you may be wondering about the fate of those we left behind on Earth and its colonies. That we honestly don't know. But we do not believe the curators know yet of our effort to re-engineer their technology. We left because their worry over the ability of one curator to kill another had drawn them to us. They were not worried about a threat from us, but their investigation was placing them among people who did know too much about what we are really about here. And we have been assured that if they did learn the truth, they would likely act without hesitation to destroy us all. Leaving was the safest course of action to protect our friends and families as well as ourselves. There are 2,700 of us aboard these six ships and we find ourselves at an empty city designed to accommodate 50,000. You are all invited to explore and if it suits you reserve a residence. Those of us who are running research projects are invited to find room for those in some of the warehouse spaces that we had the nanites create for that purpose. There are conversations to be had about which projects to leave on ships and which to ground here. We do need to clear at least one ship of all new research labs so it can begin ferry service back to the Milky Way. You will find Terminus City equipped with all the usual data services you expect, although they can't connect the sources back home because of the distance. 
and we expect to keep all of the ships here for at least a month. I realize it is customary to take questions at this time, but we are scattered about our ships and most of our answers are either in what I just said or out there in Terminus City ready to be discovered. We will have an in-person town hall there in two days time. Once again, Emma and I apologize for any inconvenience that may have caused some of you, but please take our word that we would not have taken this extraordinary step without warning if we did not think it was completely necessary. Welcome to Terminus City, the world of Terminus and Messier 101, the pinwheel galaxy. The on-air icon disappeared, the picture of the pinwheel behind us went dark, and the amphitheater lights came up. The mood of the audience was of stunned shock, but then one person stood and applauded, and then a few more, and like a wave it spread, and those who were there with us in person gave us a standing ovation. That was dope. Hey, Roger, let me go to the bathroom real quick. Okay. Hold it down. So we have one more short epilogue left in book two. And on our next exploration of the curators, we will be in book three, where humans and the curators will actually come into direct conflict. It'll be cool. Really cool. Fine Ukrainian vodka. Slava Ukraini. So I like to tell Tommy, you're gonna like this. <laughs> really, if anyone had told me I would be typing the words, we just traveled 21 million light years when I started writing the series. I would have laughed and said, that's crazy. It's just like, but now it's just like a walk next door. Tommy? I hear a door. Who you call door? I said I heard a door. That's a slur from where I come from. <laughs> so we have book two epilogue. 18 months later. Jay and Emma and our old friend Quentin's watched with me as Sophia practice yoga on the terrace of our home on the outskirts of Terminus City. Of all the girls in our expedition, Emma said, I still can't believe you hooked up with the one who has an altar to the seasons in an incense library. Sophia is also a skilled biochemist who realized several of the most critical challenges of the mortality cure. After tens of thousands of years of living as if I was an alien in a human body, she is also helping me navigate the highs and lows and rapids of my human emotions. And she doesn't have killing people on her resume as a job skill, I added. I chuckled. I had always felt humor, but expressing it still felt like a decision I had to consciously make rather than allowing it to emerge naturally. Sophia was helping me with that, too. Sophia finished her routine and got dressed. She likes to perform her rituals as her parents, grandparents had taught her, sky clad. She finds it hilarious that nakedness is also the natural state of most intelligent life forms in our old galaxy. 
Ready to go moon shopping, she asked with a quick kiss to my forehead. If Quentin is, I said. This should be really interesting, Quentin said. So tell me again why you need a ship to do this. Well, I wanted to bring Sophia along, and even working alone, doing this kind of planetary work in deep space is a lot easier with a habitable platform to work from, even if it's just a shell with no propulsion of its own. The implausible alibi had been refurbished with the latest pinwheel technology, including a fold drive that was a bit smaller than a tennis ball. The nano assembly team had made a few that were the size of ping pong balls, but they had only succeeded four times out of 100, over 100 tries. They had finally realized that they needed to do something non-nanoscale engineers had learned long ago and design in the opportunity for quality assurance and rework. This made the final assemblies a bit bulkier, but their yield was now 100% at every scale we had tried. There was still much work to do to make curator-style implants, but reliable bulk nano-assembly was no longer a stumbling block. <coughs> Excuse me. The microfold array people were busy redesigning their prototype designs to take advantage of the new assembly techniques. We piled into the alibi and Quentin folded us out to the Terminus system's innermost gas giant. 17 moons, Quentin intoned, punching up a display. Two for the price of one if you also buy a ring. Ground rules, besides not being too big for me to move around and big enough to stabilize Terminus, we don't want too much surface frozen gases because they'll all sublimate away at Terminus's distance from the sun. Well, that pretty much excludes the ones that aren't in the intertidal zone because at this distance from the sun, they're all going to have surface temperatures cold enough to freeze air. Three of the innermost moons weren't so cold because of tidal forces from the giant. Two of them were too big for me to move. We took note and folded out to the next most outward of the three gas giants. Same shit, different planet, Quentin said. The smaller inward one is really nice and hot, but it's also radioactive as hell. Reminds me of Jupiter's moon Eo back home. But volcanoes, Sophia said. Terminus could have a moon with volcanoes, which would gradually die out without the gas planet's tides to need the moon to power them, I said. Sophia jabbed me for being a party pooper, but we moved on. Surprisingly, at the outermost gas giant had a world with liquid surface water. It would probably be more proper to think of it as water lava, but much of the surface was liquid and its atmosphere was not too different from that of any habitable world before the usual oxygenation crisis. Can you get a mask for it, Andrew? I let me implant do its thing and said, about 10 to the 23rd kilograms, just a little more than Earth's moon. Can you heft it? It'll take about 10 steps from this far out, but I'm thinking this is our candidate, Sophia. Screw volcanoes, liquid water for the wind. I bet the curators don't have any dual habitable planets. No, their method pretty much guarantees a sterile moon, I said. And the liquid water should persist, Quentin added. Once it's in place around Terminus, it'll have the solar flux instead of the gas world's tides to provide surface warmth. The solar wind will eventually blow it all away, but that'll take hundreds of millions of years. Meanwhile, the air might be a bit thin, but we could probably make it breathable. Okay, people, Quentin, check me with your program. I set up some orbital parameters around Terminus and let the ship's computer chew on them. That should give us a month pretty close to Earth's month, but at a much brighter night sky with all this high albedo stuff on the surface. Now that gives us two possibilities. I need to make about a 22 kilometer per second velocity adjustment before folding it to its final orbit. Supergravity doesn't work at this scale because planets aren't solid and the little tidal variances in the projected graviton field will disrupt them. So we're going to have to fold it in place to fall towards something bigger to adjust its velocity. 
We can do it here, which will only affect this giant's lunar system and take about four days. Or we can fold it down to the much bigger innermost gas giant and do it in two days, but that'll tidally cock up that world's lunar system too. Do it here, Sophia said instantly. We need this world, but we don't need it any more damage than necessary to the rest of the system. I looked at Quentin and he shrugged. Sounds like a plan to me. I'm not in a big hurry to be somewhere else. Okay then, Sophia, this is going to take me out of my human side for a while. I have to concentrate. If this isn't done right, of course I understand, she said. Before you start, we should conduct the great right to consecrate our effort. While being in touch with my human side, the suggestion to have ritual sex first was not one I was going to turn down. And Quentin was a good sport and pretended he couldn't hear us on the upper deck while he did whatever humans do while their friends are having sex in the next room. I'll have to look that up sometime. And then began nearly a week of pretty constant mental implant activity for me. I was able to arrange a data output so they could see on the ship's monitor what my implant and its amplifier were up to. Since the temperature of the worldlet was reasonable, we were actually able to land the alibi on its surface, which helped maximize my range and accuracy. But when you're moving worlds, you check and recheck everything constantly without rest. There is no margin for error, particularly on those last few folds as we approach Terminus, an inhabitable and inhabited world which could meet awesome disaster if I did anything wrong. But I did nothing wrong, and within a few days, Terminus was a habitable world with a stabilizing moon. And having gone back to my roots as a curator for that time, I let Sophia guide me back into human habits, while the residents of Terminus weighed in on the new development. Since Terminus had never had tides before, there was a great deal of interest in how its oceans would react to the new sloshing forces. There were minor quakes and tidal tsunamis, and fortunately, we had anticipated all of that, and nobody was harmed. Of course, Jay and Emma hung a medal around my neck and everyone was ready to slap me on the back and order me a drink. But it was Sophia who reminded me of something I hadn't really connected. I wasn't just the only person at the pinwheel with an amplifier able to move a moon. I was also the only being in the entire universe with an amplifier I could reprogram to do something like helping the neurologists out. And that meant that I was more than either a human who was a curator or a curator who was a human. I was something else entirely. Just what that was, though, I wasn't yet sure. This concludes the curator's book, too. So we are now about two-thirds of the way through the curators. Let me put my windows back so I can look at you while I'm talking. Um, that makes... I, I did like the... You were correct. It was a, it is a thrilling ending. I'll give you that. You're correct. <laughs> uh, so between books one and two, we have now gone through about 85 episodes as they were originally published. And there are only about 50 more. Books three and four are considerably shorter because all of the world building has been done. Uh, so they are packed with gnarly shit, especially when did, book three. When did we start the Hold on, Let me look it up. When did we start the curators? Sorry, keep going. I think it's been about a year. I think it's been longer. Probably a little longer. Yeah, there was, uh, well, there was a bit of hiatus uh, early this year because you had a lot of distractions and stuff. So we didn't oh, do it for a while. Yeah. Um, for part one, May 23rd, 2021. Yeah, this is our 15th reading. Yeah, part 15. Yeah, but I always try to, when I like zoom out and I look at things, like just even like my own yearly goals, you know, and my first uh, instinct is always 
to be like, well, it was a little fucked up. I had a concussion. My little brother got married. I had some stuff going. But then I go, no, 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 no. That is that's life. Yeah, that happens in the year in the annual thing. So you know, and I, I to- and I totally understand. That's yeah. Know. So when I make so when I look at it and I go, we've been doing this since last May. I imagine I go probably on paper we could go oh we'll probably knock it out in six months it'll probably be a year just because who the fuck on my end or your end who knows what february brings right just Um, who knows but like like i said we have about 50 episodes as originally and i actually have it broken up into nine more readings uh four each for books three and four and then there's a five-part coda sort of an a, a major epilogue to the entire series uh so book three in particular has a few really spectacular things that happen in it. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> well, it took 16 months for us to go this far, almost to the day. So that would be, and that was 84 and there's 50 left. So yeah. How much would that mean we have left? Probably well, about a year left. Yeah. Well, it was 15 readings as I broke it apart and there's nine left. And that took us 16 months. Yeah. I mean, so we could theoretically be done with it in a couple of months. Theoretically. But we probably, but we probably yeah. won't. Yeah. The- well, then there's also just sometimes I just, I'm like, like I, uh, Professor Roger, I'm like, I got a question. So right. that's, that's yeah. how I look at it. It's kind of like I mean, the curators, though, like yeah. billion year plans. <laughs> that is the beauty of this podcast. It's just like, maybe we'll finish it in 2023. Fuck do I care? Where are we going? Roger and I are just, we're just here. But hanging. The Earth is our generation ship, and we're just and, doing podcasts to pass the time. Yeah, I mean, like last week we didn't do the curators, but yeah, last we, week's yeah. last week's uh, uh, podcast was actually quite a bit of fun. I mean, it was that fun was, as fuck. Yeah, yeah. went down a we so, went way off the deep end. You never know what's going to happen. How about we haven't even talked about Ukraine lately? I know, I know. I had I mean, <laughs> defense politics Asia yesterday. He uh, Wyatt Wyatt Lim Wyatt Lim from okay. Seoul Seal. Oh, Seoul. Um, he was in, I think, the Korean military or whatever. And oh, yeah, this is... has a great, but he has a great channel called Defense Politics Asia on YouTube. He's got like 50,000 subscribers. He does a really good break. He's always being accused of being a Ukraine shill and a Russian <laughs> shill. And he's always like, he's like, I have no stake in the game. I, I, he's like, yeah, to the like, other side the of the world. He's like, what the hell? He's like, I hate all of you. And uh, <laughs> he does great breakdowns with uh, overlaying maps and shit. I mean, he's always way ahead of the curve. And uh, but he came on yesterday. We ended up talked about Ukraine for maybe thirty minutes, but it was a four-hour episode. <laughs> we just fucking went down. <laughs> we went down. At one point, we were just screaming about Pootie Pie and how he's a pedophile. There's that's based on nothing. I've I've no- never met the guy i'm sure he's a wonderful human but because i can slander people in the podcast no so, he's not a wonderful human no no no. pootie pie pootie pie yeah youtuber oh 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 okay. pootie pie no no the youtube he's the biggest youtuber of all time he's i think he's a little older than me he's got like 120 million subscribers he's one of like the og youtubers started like early 2000s oh. yeah 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 he's one dude that just he just like plays video games and does like stupid his main audience is like 12 year olds he's made more money than god <laughs> He's got like five <laughs> times the reach of Rogan. He's been a he's yeah. been a planet sized YouTuber for as long as I can remember. Um, point is, is not important. That's how connected I am. I've never even heard of him. <laughs> I've, yeah, he's he's yeah no he's 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 insanely rich. Um, the point is, is yeah we went down the rabbit hole, and I think we you need podcasts like that every once in a while where you just 
there is no structure. And you're just like, let's see yeah. where this goes. Let's step off the edge of this cliff. I don't know how tall it is. You're like, let's go. And sometimes it's just <laughs> like an insane trip. Sometimes you hit every rock on the way down, you know? Yes. But I feel like you need those every once in a while. Like proximity wingsuiting. Not yes. necessarily a good idea. <laughs> no, but, but fucking, if you do it right, it's, but a, it's a blast. Rush. It's the best of the best. Proximity is perfect analogy. If you pull it off, it's, you're, it's like lucid dreaming. It's cool as hell. If you don't pull it off, like, well, everyone sees the after effects. It's just, yeah. you're like, that episode sucked. And you're like, yeah, well, you know, sometimes you take a black eye while doing this, but yeah. Having yeah. your brain scattered all over a bridge somewhere is taking a black eye. But yeah. Or is what little Andy, risks that you take for the thrill. Is Andy Stumpf, the former SEAL Team 6 member who does like wingsuiting, he raises money for like wounded veterans. He has the longest wingsuiting trip, I think. It's 18 miles. And, uh, but he also considering does, the glide ratio is like four to one that's actually a lot <laughs> oh yeah no he yeah he'd be like he'd be like jump out of stuff and be like freezing to death he talks yeah. about how like using hand warmers but being so high up that there wasn't enough a- oxygen for him to like activate um <laughs> but yeah he was on he was in he was in dev group which is seal team six point is, is he talks about proximity flying he's like i have no desire to do it he's like i've yeah. done like tier one black ops raids he's like i've experienced adrenaline he's like proximity wingsuiting and he's like i've seen it first person go wrong he goes best case you get a you get a case of powdered femurs and you're eating out of a bag for the rest of your life he goes worst case raw hamburger meat hitting a sidewalk <laughs> that's how he describes it yeah I've, the way that i've seen it described is that base jumping where you jump off of bridges and buildings and stuff violates all the safety protocols of skydiving mm-hmm. just by the fact that you're doing it. yeah and wingsuiting violates all the safety protocols of base jumping <laughs> and proximity wingsuiting violates Wait, like, all so the safety the protocols of, of wingsuiting <laughs> yeah proximity wingsuiting for anyone that doesn't know it's the people that i mean wingsuiting alone yeah is as you just said is insane enough but it's the people that right above the ground just right off the the ridge line right off the side of a mountain right mm-hmm. down a valley or something and, and, i mean the gopros are incredible it looks like lucid dreaming i mean you're doing yeah. 180 miles an hour just right over but there's no time yeah you're you going about 200 two- miles an hour and you're yeah. six feet from the floor of this valley it's all he, rocks yeah and andy stump talks about it. it's probably because he was in devgrew but he's like, I have, he's like, I'll scale the mountain. I'll get up there. It'll be a four hour hike. And I'll look up and I like, I'll see the conditions aren't perfect. He's like, I'll pack it up. I'll just walk right back down the mountain. He's like, yeah. I'll bring like a bottle of wine and I'll just drink <laughs> on the way down. He's like, I don't care. He's like, cause I see so many people that are like, well, we're up here anyway. And he's like, and you'll just see like, it's nothing. You'll just see someone that you just walked up with just die. And he's like, mm-hmm. there, he's like, I have no, I'm not drawn to that. He's like, I'm just. I'm not, he goes, unless it's perfect, I don't care. This, this is this is what too much Red Bull does to you. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine Dale's probably, I would imagine actually Dale's up next, but I imagine Dale's probably the same way. Like there's no allure to it. He's like, why? No, those why? guys, yeah, the, the people like Dale is like, they don't get to be 40 years old by doing stupid ass shit like that. Dale's 59. Yeah. I, I mean, he has, <laughs> so he's, so he has, you, you only get to be that old 
in that line of work if you are careful and you follow the yeah, protocol not only the best rules. but also careful not cocky. yeah it's yeah exactly so it's like yeah and, and that's in the sense where like you know tom cruise's character in the mission impossible movies is not quite that realistic because someone like that has a short life expectancy yeah. in real and it's, life. Hey, it's a it's a they've got a it's a hell of a it's like who's that base jumper uh he died in the 90s i think thor it's like thor like Capfell, i think k-a-p-f like j-j-e-l-l -L. jumped I, off the empire state building he jumped out off the chrysler building fucking wild dude he like he like he like climbed out of the chrysler building using a fire hose ran out on one of the eagles jumped off parachuted cut his parachute <laughs> and jumped into a cab and ducked while the cops were this is before gopros he would just bring like a fucking handheld cam with them that's probably why i'm not aware of it is before you had all the not, nowadays you do shit like that and it's on all these little channels like the chive channel and all yeah. this no this was this YouTube was, videos and stuff this was pre-2000 thor I mean, it's like why would people even do that back then there's a <laughs> there's a there's a photograph of him, and it was uh it's him jumping off the world trade center and like people described it's the only evidence of it people said like they were all out on the tour because like one of the buildings had like a a square wa walkway that went around the top of it and you know it's all mm -hmm. from a distance you know but i think my parents went to it once um and there's a vi there's a no, there's a just one picture a, a still a black and white still of thor and uh that said he like ran he like op came up with the rest of the group like looked at everyone like said hello and like you know, took his backpack off and like turned it inside out. And they, they're because everything they're doing is illegal. So like mm -hmm. kind of like they are like an operator. It's all high speed, ready to go. He like took it off, buckled it on and just ran like hopped the edge, ran to the corner <laughs> and just jumped off. And the people started screaming because they had no idea how to parachute. They thought it was just a jumper. But there's one photo and it's him just like jumping off. And you just see like a fuzzy Manhattan below like 1500 feet. And I think his nickname was The Fly or something, Thor Capfell. But then he yeah. died, I think, in 2000. And yeah, he jumped off like a cliff face, like in the fog during a thunderstorm. But that's a guy well, who people talk to and they're like, he didn't want to live. Like he, <laughs> every day yeah. was just like, what can I do now? Yeah, that's asking for it. Yeah. And you don't know if those guys are depressed and, or if. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that people like Dale are not asking for it. They are executing calculated. Mission. Yeah. Calculated. They're, they're, they're not even there for the adrenaline. They may be getting the adrenaline out of it, but they actually have a mission. The insane and thing if is, they don't accomplish their mission, they failed. The thing is, they, he and Ted, I talk about how much adrenaline is. Uh, they, they talk about it as a setback. Yeah, because it clouds, it, your it clouds your thinking. Whereas I'm like, I would need adrenaline. They talk about like the specific okay. things you go to. You're supposed to like, I think you're supposed to like eat breaths. No, you're calm. supposed to like, yeah. you're supposed to like stand up or I, th I think maybe kneel on your kneecaps and put your hands on your thighs and you're supposed to just keep looking left and right or something. It's a way to like get it out. Other guys are uh, like, I need an adrenaline rush. Dale and Ted I are like, that's such a fucking, you know, it's yeah. like getting a smudge on your glasses. It's like, oh, just get some away. And I'm like, what <laughs> the fuck? Like, so they don't even. Yeah. They're Dale doing talk. something people would pay for to get an adrenaline rush, and they're trying not to get they're, the adrenaline they're like, rush. They're like, yeah, they're like, because like it interferes with their mission. It's like yeah. putting a silencer on their gun. They're like, fuck, it's like, be quiet, quiet, quiet. And it's like, mm -hmm. Dale actually talks about, I think Ted I talks about his like last mission. It's where he almost, he almost died. He was on a 72 hour escape and evade, no, 77 hour. And Dale talks about his last, allegedly, I never know if 
because then Dale will drop hints that he's still working. And I'm like, what if? But in his book, he talks about the last one, and it's where he was on a, con- a convoy in Iraq. And uh, he said it just dawned on him that he was like, I've been playing Russian roulette for a while. And he's calculated. And he, there's something about the last thing he was in where he, he was in a convoy, he was in the lead vehicle, Taliban were firing. There's no other way to but to go through him. And he just had this feeling, he said for like the first time in his entire history as like a warrior, he was like, I've been rolling the dice for a while. And he was like, it's I do time love to leave my, the table. He's like, I do love my <laughs> wife. Like, he's like, I'd love to see, I'd love to see them. You know, I'd love to see my daughter get married. And he was like, all right. <laughs> he's done. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I read an article uh, many years ago by a guy who was a big uh, amateur football player and you know, tackle football. Right. America. Uh, Ronda and Tiki Barber. Yeah. Uh, but he, uh, he he wrote this article about why he stopped. And he said he realized after a while that everybody he knew, because he was a he was a tackle. And everyone he knew had had a serious, serious injury that meant they were they were going to be in pain for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. And it hit him in the middle of a game. That this was not a thing he should probably be doing. Yeah, but <laughs> he was, you know, and it was like, and that was the lot. He, he's, it's like he had to force himself to finish that game, and then he never went back because he realized that, you know, he wasn't getting millions of dollars or anything for it. He was, you know, getting the adrenaline rush. He was, you know, it was a game that he loved and all that. But the chances that he would become seriously injured and seriously shorten his life expectancy were one hundred percent if he kept doing this. And so he, he caught it himself in time and, you know, it was like, it just hit him all at once at one point in, in the game. middle of a game. Wow. And he realized I shouldn't be doing this. It's um, there's another example. And maybe it might be, we're talking about the same one, uh, twins, Rondé Barber and Tiki Barber. And they're both, they're both young, young. Though, sorry, they're both like I think kind of old for football. No, kind of young. I think they're like late twenties, thirty, mm-hmm. and both very good. Multi, they were stars of the game. They weren't just some random player. And I don't. And maybe it was both of them or just one of them. But aside from just the brain injury, CTE, it was they. Yeah, they looked yeah. at all like their Hall of Fame like role models, and they're all yeah. on. They're all on different painkillers. They're in wheelchairs. They have canes, mm-hmm. and they were like. He's like, yeah. my daughters were three and four. And he was like, no, this guy that I'm thinking of, uh, I don't remember his name, but it was before the whole CTE thing. They, oh, wow. He didn't even know about that. Oh, he wow. was just thinking about things like having your, your, your limbs broken. And then they, they're never right again and stuff like that because he was taking the heavy hits and he wasn't a star. He, it yeah. was just amateur level, you know, football, wow. like you, you know, in a, in a, in a, a local league, but he he just he knew all of these people who had sustained serious injuries because that's the nature of the game and he was just like why am i doing this and, wow. and one day one day oh shit just finished yeah yeah um, yeah i'm looking at the time it's like you said you have yeah. Dale at eight yeah. yeah we'll wrap we'll wrap it up in like a minute um i forgot who i was gonna say um a oh, proximity firing so me and my friend Matt <laughs> played grand theft auto all the time probably gonna play tonight and uh we, we, you're always flying across the map. It's the quickest way to like to to travel. <laughs> it's just you're always going from mission to mission. It's just quicker to get into a helicopter or a biplane or a fighter jet or whatever. 
and like you can just you could just climb up for 10 seconds and do a straight line but we always do we always do proximity flying because we're like it's the only yeah. thing that makes the game still fun otherwise it's like what are we even doing so whether you're yeah. in like a crop duster or in a massive like military cargo plane through the city right oh, no yeah we're always oh, we're always doing it. i mean like <laughs> like wings like sparking on skyscrapers down roads and shit and you always fuck up you always end up hitting a light pole or a billboard and it's just an explosion on a highway but if you do it correctly there's nothing better in the game not the plot of the game <laughs> not not getting first place there's nothing like taking a learjet through yeah. a, a highway tunnel oh I was going to also say, I, I caught a YouTube video by Alan Watts the other day. The, mm. YouTube just coughed up into my feed for some reason. And I was like, oh, Alan Watts. Yeah, I've, I've watched this. And uh, the thing that I liked uh, from that talk, it was about a 20 minute talk, was he points out that in the King James Version of the Bible, the, when Jesus says, I am the Son of God, the word the is italicized. And he says that that reason for that is that the word the isn't there in the original Greek. It was interpolated by the translator. And it's just, you know, basically what Jesus said, I am son of God. And you could just as easily interpolate it. I am a son of God. Oh, yeah. Like all of you. Oh. And Watts thinks that was Jesus's real message was that he had a moment of cosmic consciousness and that his message was that we are all oh, sons of God. Oh, wow. And that the, you know, that one, the, that one isn't it conjunction. Mark isn't it Mark Twain <laughs> that said the difference between the right word and the wrong word can be as simple as lightning and lightning bug. Uh-huh. Just, you it couldn't be more opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, yeah. Alan Watts does a lot of stuff. He also, he also has kind of some funny bits comparing uh, the church to uh courtroom and, yes uh, <laughs> he, he he went there a little bit too yeah. in this talk and he uh uh he, he i i love the neologism he said that the church had pedestalized jesus yeah. placing him on a pedestal that jesus himself didn't intend to be on yeah, yeah. Alan I, is a trip yeah I, I i i really liked that uh so yeah. it's like i i hadn't actually seen i mean so I, he's one of these characters i knew a little bit about him but i never actually listened to him speak before he, and you uh just, it was you cool don't, you don't discover watts watts finds you when the, <laughs> he when did the time, when the time is right that wasn't youtube that was alan in the form of a software algorithm he comes <laughs> yes, to you and ghost in, in the machine oh yeah no he talks about he was like you didn't get into a fender bender god was telling you time to work on your patience he just came to you in the form of a bumper and sometimes it's the form of red and blue lights behind you you know mm -hmm. it's a yeah, he, the, the creators of South Park actually animated one of his videos, which is like the wildest thing to us. Like, you know, the, car, the guys that made Cartman are Alan Watts <laughs> fans, but they talk about. Uh, yeah, South that. Park was a surprisingly deep show, though. It's like if it you if, I mean, you, if you just know it superficially, then you would never guess that it has some of the depths that it does in some of its episodes. Nothing's better than when Mr. Garrison becomes Donald Trump. <laughs> and he gets elected and they're walking him through the white house and they're like here's the uh here's the room where you can drone anyone on earth here's the remote for that and he's like well thank you and he's like here's the nuclear football in case you want to attack another nation he goes love me some football <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then they bring him into the war room and they go and this is where all the problems land on your desk 
and they go in and there's just sirens going off and like the heads of the CIA and the NSA are just running around. If there's someone, someone's actually on fire and he just goes, Oh fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking love that one. Love me some football, but yeah, we do got to wrap this one up because I got Dale in a minute. Um, We'll resume next week. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't think we have a movie next week, so I may have more freedom with the time. I'll let you know. When, all right and yeah, i think there's gonna be schedule i think there's a 50 50 chance i'm gonna be out of town next sunday i don't know I'll, I'll stay in touch with you we'll figure it out um but yeah the links to all your stuff will be in the description as always go check it out guys and roger i'll see you next week and that is a mighty fancy shirt you have on which is i know in the it's a, an original by a truly creative designer it's it's a, an original it's an original tpc mm-hmm Mr. Williams, that's very nice. Tell us what you know about Mr. Kerrigan and where his last whereabouts were. You're like, this This is one of, he is a wanted enemy of the state. All right. Uh, he lives in New England somewhere. Somewhere, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. you're going in jail with me. I got to wrap this one up. Roger.